0: Hello and welcome back to the God's Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Rito, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. Ian, hi.
1: Hi, how are you, Brent?
0: I'm good. We're back in Palmer... I'm back in Palmerston North on this slightly grey day, but it's good to be back.
1: It's always grey. It's
0: not always grey. Not always, but... Sometimes is yes. Now we're back in the book of Mark today, looking at chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. And this account, we had the Jewish feeding of the 5,000, and we've now got the Gentile feeding of the 4,000. Now, before we come on and deal with all that, what did we see in chapter 7 last time?
1: So we saw some religious leaders coming and accusing Jesus uh, of being unclean, and then we see Jesus kind of really attacking them. But then after that, uh, we see Jesus going out into Gentile territory and we have two healings and both of them are of, of Gentile people, unexpectedly kind of Gentile people and both of them seem to have faith in who Jesus is and there's this is kind of contrast going on between those religious leaders who just cannot believe who Jesus is and uh, these Gentile leaders, these Gentile people who, who kind of do and, come, and seem to come to faith.
0: Now, the Jewish leaders get Jesus very wrong indeed. And what, why is it important for us not to get Jesus wrong, do you think?
1: Well, that's what the whole book of Mark is about, really. Don't, don't get him wrong because he's God and uh, don't underestimate him. But that, that's you know, the, the most important thing, isn't it? That Mark is showing us that this is the Son of God and if you get him wrong... Uh, you'll get everything else wrong <laughs> kind of in life, um, that he is the only one that can come and redeem and restore. Mm.
0: Now, how is this passage today divided
1: into three scenes? We have three things going on. So you've got the, uh, this feeding miracle. Uh, then you have kind of Jesus uh, kind of being challenged. And then you you have the disciples and having a discussion with Jesus afterwards.
0: Mm. So let's have a look at verses 1 to 10 to start off with. In those days when, this is of chapter 8. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets." Now. With the Jewish feeding, we had, I think, five and seven making 12, didn't yeah. we? We thought for the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 being significant in the Jewish context. So why have we got seven for the Gentiles, Rido, Well, and there were about 4,000 people as opposed to 5,000. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Damanutha. Now, how does this feeding compare and contrast with the earlier feeding of the 5,000?
1: Well, the the 5,000, Jesus is going away. So the the disciples had just been sent out. They've come back. Jesus says, let's go find some rest. They they kind of go out into the wilderness and... Uh, they're still in, in Israelite area there, I think, and then uh, they people come and find Jesus there. And the way that it's described is this kind of lush, beautiful. It says the people sat down on the green grass. You know, given this description of how beautiful it is. Uh, but here, what do we have? It's just kind of, you know, it's introduced as during those days this happened. But this is called a desolate place. Mm-hmm. It's quite different to, to this other one. And it doesn't seem to be in Jewish territory. It seems to be, again, in Gentile territory. So what do we learn about Jesus from his words here? He can be a bit harsh, can he? Yeah, kind of, uh, you know, how many loaves do you have? Like, it's just very kind of clear, a matter of fact. <laughs> you know? um, and what does he say before that? Um, you, know, you know, I have compassion for these people. Uh they already been with me three days of nothing to eat. If I send them were hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them uh, have come a long distance. So Jesus that the kind of first thing that he has compassion on them. He loves his people. Uh, he understands them is another I think is another really interesting thing. He knows what is going on. He's not just some, you know, kind of religious leader, has no no idea what is happening for these people or how they live. He actually understands that he can't send them away because they will die, you know, on, on the way.
0: He he's, he always has consideration of people's physical needs, doesn't he? And, yeah. And food is one of them. Yeah. Is there any significance to the three days? Do you think?
1: Possibly. Um, yeah, you know, kind of. You, you three days becomes important. You know, kind of in death a death and resurrection. Yeah, it? yeah. Well, Jonah as well. You know, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Death mm. and resu- the death and resurrection of Jesus. So. Yeah, and and the fact that they're on the point of death, you know, kind of...
0: Yes, I wonder wonder if there's any sense, the fact they've not eaten means they've been in a state of death for three days. Yeah, they'd be hungry. They'd be very hungry.
1: I've done a few... On on the point of dying, yeah. You you know, when you do a bit of fasting, you kind of three days of fasting... Uh, and following Jesus along the way, you know, surely you'd be very hungry. Yeah, is there any
0: significance to the fact that there are seven loaves here, comparing with the seven loaves and five fish making twelve for Israel?
1: Possibly is, is what I'll say. Um, well, you know, seven, seven being kind of the the number of of God, you know, completeness in in the seven. So. Probably that there is yes, and
0: four thousand the numbers four and seven are definitely global numbers in scripture mm. and numbers of completeness you think of the four corners of the house uh the the, the, the four parts of the thing. It, it, the four directions the four winds you know all all that kind of stuff, and seven is a number of god's completeness
1: so you so you kind of it's, it's potentially representing uh all of um, kind of Gentiles, yeah. You know, kind oh, yeah of, it's the, a representative of all, of all Gentiles, the, the, whole a yes, yeah. the whole world, on them. Yes, yeah. the whole world. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, what does this feeding again tell us about Jesus? He's
1: powerful. <laughs> he kind of he can do it. I think your your version, um, you've got the ESV there, was was uh, quite clear on saying that. It, lo- it sounds like Jesus does the the miracle in front of the disciples, but not in front of the people. Mm-hmm. So he does the, he does the miracle kind of in a hidden way, mm-hmm. then he gives it to the disciples to do the distribution. Mm-hmm. And so they see it, but the people don't see it.
0: Mm. Again, I suppose like the uh, Jewish feeding, this could point forward to the Lord's Supper. Uh, uh, and the fact that the disciples, as the church will uh, will at some point, distribute bread and, and, well, wine, in this case it's not wine, but but bread to the people. Yep. Yeah,
1: and and all of those feeding miracles, you kind of see that in John six. It's a similar thing. There's mm-hmm. there's a definite connection there between that and the Lord's supper. So yeah, I, th- I think there's there's probably a reference, yeah. kind of through that. Yeah.
0: Okay, uh, let's carry on with verses eleven to thirteen, and this is this is so funny. I shouldn't I shouldn't say it's funny, but it, I it, I think it's downright funny in comparison when when you consider what's just happened. Yep. So along they come again. This is the second scene. Verse 11 The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. What do they think he's just done? Oh, yeah, no. where, <laughs> what, where have these people been? And he sighed deeply in his spirit. I don't, I would too. <laughs> and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, what on earth is the irony of the Pharisees coming to Jesus to ask for a sign when He's just performed a sign? The, I suppose the feeding of the four thousand is a sign, isn't
1: yeah. it? Isn't, that's the kind of the point, isn't it? That, that Mark has placed that little bit here to, to, to kind of like, what more do you possibly want? <laughs> you, know, you kind of like, this has been one thing after after another that Jesus has been doing, mm. and you know, people in the in the Gentile territories have heard about Him, yeah, you know, and, and the things that He's capable of doing. Surely they should know and be able to investigate themselves.
0: I mean, he's done this. This is the second one of these uh, feeding miracles that he's done. They're pretty astonishing. Uh, Where have these people been? In fact, my very next question, in what sense have the Pharisees come to Jesus in order not to believe? They know jolly well what he's done. And they're, they're just being stubborn. Yeah,
1: and that's, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah. Is that they do not want to believe. Yeah, And they're trying to find everything they can so that they cannot believe. Yeah. Do you think
0: by the fact they've asked him for a sign, they expect to see lightning come out of heaven or something? I don't, possibly, multiplying possibly. bread and fish is not enough in that book. It's well, not, th- not enough. You've I got to do something more
1: dramatic than that. Yeah, and particularly mm. in John, you see this, that what they want is confirmation that you are the Son of God. You know, some... Mm. Some confirmation from God the Father that this is the Son of God, you yeah. know, kind of come down from heaven, and you know, it's kind of like, what what possibly more could you want, you know, kind of on on Jesus. Well,
0: they, they don't want to believe. That's the whole point. They yeah. ask this question so they don't have to, really, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, So that uh, takes care of my next question, which was going to be, why do the Pharisees ask for a sign from heaven anyway? Because they just don't want to believe. Is this is an excuse. Oh, well, you're not going to show us a sign. We don't believe. We don't know that you are who you say you are, isn't it? Do the do the Pharisees think that Jesus is evil?
1: Do you think? Well, uh, what other conclusion could you come to? You know, kind of if if um, you have a guy claiming to be doing miracles, claiming to be the Son of God, or well, maybe he's not actually saying that out loud, but you know, kind of that there's proof uh, that he that that people are thinking that that he's either leading people to God. Which they don't want to believe, or he's leading people away from God, which would make him evil. Mm.
0: You wonder if that's the uh, their their what they think about him really. How can we also get Jesus wrong then?
1: Well, we look at him and say, "Oh, he's just a good guy," you know, kind of. You know, we don't look at the evidence. Uh, for for who Jesus is and take it seriously and really what what this is saying is there is no neutrality around who with Jesus he is either who he is he, he is or he is an evil person come come to earth he cannot be a good guy uh, he must be the son of God because he's been doing these things or he is leading people away from God mm-hmm. and he can't be trusted if that's the case
0: mm-hmm. okay so to the third scene uh, verses 14 to 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. You get the feeling that these guys aren't very well prepared. <laughs> I mean, okay, I can understand that they can't cope with four thousand. That might have been a bit unexpected, but you think they'd yeah. they'd have a bit more? I've organic. got one loaf. It'll be right. I brought my lunch. Right. <laughs> I, brought my lunch. <laughs> I can't do four thousand, Lord, but I've got my lunch here. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, and he cautioned them, saying, "Watch out, beware of the li- the li- is it leaven or leaven? leaven. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod." And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, "Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? Now we're back to the, um, mm. the man in chapter seven, the deaf man who can't see very well. yeah. Having eyes do you not see and hearing ears do you having ears do you not hear and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him twelve, and the seven for the four thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him seven, and he said to them do you not yet understand? Okay, so how do the disciples also get Jesus profoundly wrong here then?
1: They don't understand who he is yet. And so I think that that's the point of the, um, you know, kind of you hear without hearing is, is pointing back to the the deaf man and you see without seeing, but, you know, you kind of fail to see. There's a blind man just about to come. Um, that They they see and hear Jesus, but they have not fully understood who he is. They don't understand there's a son of God. We're going to get there in a second, but even that, it's not all the way. And so you, you think... You're sitting in, in a boat with a guy who just fed 4,000 people and you're arguing about having one loaf of bread. You know, you're know, you kind of like, don't you understand what he can do? You know, you yeah,
0: they've just seen him multiply the uh, the seven loaves yeah. and, and feed a crowd of 4,000 people. So what's the problem with only having one?
1: I know. You know it's kind of like, well, Jesus could possibly do something about it, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's curious, isn't it? Uh, but I guess we'd be the same if we were sitting there. I don't know. Probably would be. Why does Jesus warn the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and particularly of Herod?
1: Yeah, I think I think the the first part of that the Pharisees is probably easier than the second part of it but mm. the, the you know with the Pharisees it's it's uh, legalism it just gets sown through particularly you know obedience to laws uh, for your salvation obedience to laws for the good life, basically, mm-hmm. um, gets sown through everything, and it becomes so insidious that, that you just think, "Oh, yeah, maybe if I did this, or maybe if I do that, that, then then uh, you know I'll be acceptable to God." Um, the Herod bit I think is a little bit tricky. What do you think about that?
0: Well, Herod, Herod in effect, is ruling Israel at this point yes. uh, as as a person of with some Jewish uh, descent, um, but he's just given a very large banquet not so long ago, a yeah. few chapters ago, which is a very, a very dodgy banquet indeed. In fact, I think the feeding of the 5,000 comes straight after it in contrast pretty much, doesn't it? And so, uh, you, well, Herod is just a disaster.
1: But you've also got earlier on, um, Jesus has a confrontation with the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're the people that follow Herod, uh, and those oh, two groups, yes. uh, classically, they historically, they did not like each other because the Pharisees, did not like Herod. They didn't. They didn't want him to be king. And the Herodians, who who want King Herod to, to kind of rule everything, um, so I wonder if there, there's kind of the, mm. a play on that that these yes. these two yes. groups of people have come together in opposition of Jesus. Uh, and so watch out for their yeast, which which is they're coming to kill me, basically. Yes,
0: and I'd watch out for Herod anyway because he was a dangerous dude. Now, how does Jesus accuse the disciples of getting him wrong? Uh, here in verses 17 to 18. What does he actually say to them?
1: Well, let let me read 17 again. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? So he's saying, are you like those religious leaders that came uh, just before, that you are refusing to see what is right in front of your face, that you are refusing to believe that I am the Son of God? Yeah.
0: What is it that the disciples cannot actually see?
1: They can't see that that he is has been sent from the Father uh, to bring about God's rule on earth. You know this is what Mark is all about: that Jesus is the King, uh, and that even though he doesn't look like a King that you would expect, that is exactly what he is. He's come into this this world to rule, uh, and they can't see that yet. That you know through his healing, uh, through his, these kind of miracles of feeding, uh, and through the good news that he's preaching, that he's actually bringing restoration to people. Uh, and these are all evidences of that very thing.
0: In what ways do none of us really understand the Lord Jesus?
1: Well, we all put ourselves first, ultimately, don't we? We we all want to be our own rulers. We all want to kind of say that uh, we are the ones who can control our own lives. Uh, and so, we none of us fully submit in the way that we should to Jesus, because we want to be the ones kind of in in the rule kind of in the driver's seat ruling um, kind of the universe or even our own little universes. Mm. And so we, ne- we never fully get uh, or fully understand all of Jesus' control, his might, his power, who he really is.
0: Yes, and in our natural state, we, without the Holy Spirit, we don't want to. Um.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even in our kind of most religious kind of state, what it often does is does the opposite rather than getting us closer uh, to submission, closer to a relationship with God, it actually pushes us further, further away. Mm.
0: Yes. Now, when you preached this uh, sermon on this passage, Rido, um, I think you said something about it's important that we don't let Jesus get too familiar to us, and I liked that. Now, what did you mean by that? I can't remember.
1: <laughs> Sorry, it was a long time ago that I preached this.
0: <laughs> oh, I, th- I think I think. Um, let me help you. I think it was the, the suggestion behind it was the idea that, that we can be because we are Christians, we confess the Lord Jesus, we read our Bibles. It we can let Jesus become too familiar. He becomes too these stories become too familiar. He becomes too much of a friend, and we lose the sense of awe mm. and the sense of worship uh, at the fact that He is God.
1: Well, isn't it? Yeah, because I
0: think that's what you were getting at. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And and
1: when when you read passages like this, how many times have you read through the Book of Mark? You know, I've read it many times. So I I really like it as a book, Mm -hmm. but they just become stories, right? And Mm -hmm. there's no sense. I mean, initially there is. There's a a sense of awe of, oh wow! Did did Jesus really do that? That's Mm -hmm. amazing. But you kind of need to recapture that over and over again, and the depth of that. What this really means that Jesus has been sent into this world. To do one thing, to be the world's king. And so we need to keep coming back to that and see how passages like this aren't just things that just to, to read as a, a kind of an interesting story, but they're actually revealing something about Jesus to us uh, that he is the, Lord, the the world's king.
0: And we, we are, we're like the disciples, we're really forced by the way Mark's written this gospel, but particularly, I think, Mark, but also the other gospels. To really be asking the question, who then is Jesus? Yeah. He's written it a bit like a detective novel. I think you have to piece together all the evidence. He presents all the evidence on the page, and you're dedu—he's inviting you to, a bit like Sherlock Holmes, deduce the evidence and work out for yourself who this person really is. I mean, he's—he's he's giving you all these clues, but they are hidden slightly and subtle.
1: Yeah, and it's often you know in a, in those kind of um, stories that they're particularly. When you're reading a book and you, you see all the evidence before you and you're kind of shouting at the characters, how come you can't see that yourselves? That, that's what we're doing. That's what you're always doing that in Mark, aren't you? Yeah. You're constantly shouting to the disciples, wake up, you know, kind of, and see who Jesus is. And even when they do get it, they don't get it, you know, kind of entirely. They do get there at the end. Uh, but. You, you kind of, you're right that, that all of these pieces of evidence Are put together in front of our faces faces, And that, that's why it's a book That you have to read over again mm. uh, Because as you see the evidence And you come to the conclusion at the end You have to start back at the beginning to say Let me have a look again at that evidence And I'll get there quicker uh, But it will help me illuminate mm. Who this Jesus is Why he's come into the world And how I then live In this kingdom that he's bringing in
0: And I think um, before we close, uh, I have to say also that reading and preparing these podcasts with you uh, on, on Mark's gospel has been terrific. And I've just been struck again at how shocking and dramatic the gospel of Mark is. That it is, it really is, it unfolds at a furious almost frenetic pace with one scene after the other, mm. uh, these co- immense conflicts, dramatic conflicts between Jesus and the religious authorities, they're, they're almost Shakespearean and and it's shocking in their power, really.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. That, that is one of the the, the interesting things in, in Mark is that he uses time very, very well, and mm. we're, we're about to move uh, next time uh, into chapter eight which is the turning point in mark and time changes from then on things start to slow down again. And so it's been very frenetic. it's kind of this happened and that happened. Uh, then we move to, we get to the turning point in mark and um, things start to slow down and they slow down more and more as we get towards the cross that it starts to go hour by hour and minute by minute. So we've had this frenetic pace. then then at times starts to slow down again as we head towards the cross
0: I shall be fascinated to do that so I'm looking forward to the next installments on Mark, Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand thank you once again for your time Thanks, and thanks to our, our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes we really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast if you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a god Story podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com/godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.